we're live now, man. It's been a little right. bit. We, we kind of, you were on, you were traveling. You were up in yeah. Montana. I was bummed because I was thinking I was going to be able to go on that trip because that's not too far away. But we ended up moving ours to go at the end of the summer. But you were up there for TAC. And, uh, yeah. It was. Uh, looked like it was fun. You know, it was. And I, it's kind of a duality on that front because um, the event seemed smaller. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to put any negative press out there that it wasn't full or whatever. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big ass mountain and it's very spread out. But the mountain. Big to mountain. me, <laughs> uh, having gone to park city the last few years, uh, missed a year at big sky last year, but went two years ago and then seeing some of the other places around the country. Um, this one just didn't seem as full. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's that, you know, flights to Montana are insane. Yeah. If, you know, the economy is hurting people or what, but it was a good event. Uh, Sornex, we went out there, didn't have a booth. Uh, the idea was to, to just go out there and, you know, get a pulse on everybody that we are connected with, see what's going on, uh, see how we can help, see if they can help us just put our heads together and really, you know, try to navigate the industry in a, in a more positive way than we've seen other people go. And, had some really good talks, had some really good meetings on that front. Um, you know, always excited to hear Bert's view on things and his direction for the, for the company. I mean, Sornex Outdoors is kind of, it's kind of his brainchild, yeah. you know, nudged along by me wanting <laughs> yeah. to get further into the hunting, but it was like, you know, he was already big into it and a big influence on me. So I think it was just a natural progression, but because of COVID and some of the things that stalled our momentum, um, you know, three years of being locked down, you know, do you really want to try to save and keep growing the business that's always been there, which is the the exercise equipment proper side, or do you want to start a new project? And we kind of tiptoed into the project spectrum for Sornex Outdoors, but it was more of a culture company, you know, as far as the community, um, focused and driven and merch kind of stuff. But now we're, we're progressing to stage two. Um, so that was a big win there. Got a, got to shoot the range and got to shoot the, shoot the uh, Rocky mountain elk foundation course. Great group of people. Um, just a really eclectic high powered group in total. But the amazing thing about it is, is having those people and being around, people that have that self-perception but are just douchebags these guys could have been and weren't who did and you that's shoot what, with i didn't see who what group you so were bert uh jocko leif liz um let me see here who else was there josh hall danny bolton was ricky Dud- was dudley in that one no he actually uh he shot a different he shot a different course that day and i think he kind of um uh, he kind of bounced around where, yeah. you know, he has so many people that are there through him because yeah. of him with his, his influence in that space. And, you know, I, I think he spent the majority of the time with the group that I was mentioning. Um, I think he's, he might've stayed with some of those guys or they, they bonded up sure. and, and had a, well, I mean, that's where we had dinner. Um, we all got together and, you know, had food, burgers, mm-hmm. uh, some really good sausages and, salad i mean it just you know as a contrast this is something that kept theming to me around the weekend and this is i think relevant uh in the conversations that we've had here 
you know, these are guys, you know, obviously Jocko's massively influential, massively influential. Um, there, there are things when I sit down and talk to him and I think, man, this guy is completely awesome. And then there's times that it's like, man, this guy is a completely normal human being. And then mm-hmm. there's time it's like, I don't understand what the hell he's talking about. Yeah. You know, he's just a, he's just <laughs> a normal person sometimes, <laughs> you know, he's, he's not a, he's not a soundbite reel. Right. You know, it, yeah. but there are people that seek to be successful that start trying to find that soundbite. They try, they keep it. Like try to cue it up or whatever. And they just like have them locked in, and that's just how they speak, basically. Yeah, in for normal sure. Conversation, even. And I, I mean, I mean, I think anybody that speaks long enough can can hear their brain working as they're speaking and find those things. Yeah, you know, they know this. Oh, this is a zinger. Boom. Yep. But uh, you know, Jocko's definitely got that capability. But he was a leader on the battlefield, so like he had to he had to understand how to get people yeah. going. So he was super. Anyway, back to the men's thing. These guys are like at the upper echelon, no pun intended about Jocko's group, but they're at the upper echelon of business, exposure, influence, et cetera, et cetera. One of the most interesting things that I observed in the entire weekend, none of these guys were talking about pussy. None of these guys were getting smashed drunk. None of these guys were like out of control. They They were in an element where... They could have been any number of things, you know, they could have been any number of behaviors, you know, expressed. Yep. And these guys just sat around like, let's have a fire, let's cook some food. And I think that is one of the interesting things that I can immediately pick up on when somebody is genuine in their message and somebody is still trying to pretend like they're being in the message. Um, You go to some of these events and you're around people. And it does fall back to the loudest person in the room kind of deal. And those types end up being that way. When I truly meet successful people or skilled people or confident people, um, and also analyzing myself now versus times that I've been in my life, um, there's certainly a bravado that comes with uncertainty. Mm. You know, the chest puffs a little more, the voice gets a little louder, a little more demanding. Mm -hmm. This was just a chill event. And that made me so appreciative of just being around high caliber people that did not disappoint me. You know what I mean? Like all of these guys are married. All of these guys have families. All of these guys, you know, from an exposure level that so many people abuse on the internet, they're not DMing women. They're not hooking up with women on the road and doing these kind of things. So for me as a man that, looks up to them for their archery ability or their ability to lead it on a battlefield or like Bert, who's running a company. I mean, everybody in our space when we were together is uniquely talented, uniquely gifted, but they've continued to choose things for commitment. You know what I mean? Versus like, I just want to feel good. I just want to make as much money as I can. I just want to have fun. Like eventually if you're committed to something, those things are the reward. Very seldom. If you're doing those things along the way, do you get the reward at the end, like the, right. the actual fruit at the end? Because you cannot trade wins for always winning. Yeah. And like these guys here bypassing things that are seemingly fun, exciting, good now in trade for the long-term goal. You know, it's, it's such an old cliche, but the delayed gratification concept. Yeah. I mean, all of these men, all of them are examples of that. Now, do I think they're the greatest human beings on earth? I don't know. Do I think that I saw a lot of genuine sides of them on the mountain and in their home? 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So based on what I've seen, I don't think, yeah, I mean, people bypass the, the smell test through the, through a medium, Yeah, but I didn't get the heebie-jeebies around them. You know, yeah. like I didn't get that spider sense that these are douchebags. Well, and that's what me, they, you, me and you have talked about that a, a bunch of times where that's like kind of seems where you and I share this sort of sense together Dude, like I, our, our guts are usually pretty good about a lot of that stuff you know well what that's I mean? what's made me successful within my job my job is to find interesting people connect with interesting people mm-hmm. if they're you know doing some really amazing things like hey bert you need to talk to this person or josh yeah. ricky you need to talk to this person and man i meet so many incredible people that do not pass my smell test mm-hmm. you know and i i just i've not been wrong very often in that yeah. direction. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if somebody's just a glaringly offensive person to me for no reason, like if just their presence offends me, yeah. I'm like, and I'm out. I don't know. Well, and it's not like feelings <clears throat> offended. It's like that thing I can't control. Yeah. It's just like, you just know it's like you feel hot or cold. Well, yeah. I feel like I like you or I don't, you know, yeah. it's the same thing. So, so I was going to ask you too, because I'm curious if you're the same, the same way that I am regarding just, events in general like i love the idea of them and i love when i'm there Mm -hmm. and once i'm in a place and i've kind of settled in and i'm like i know why i'm here i'm connecting and friends are here or whatever it's fun at the same time like i hate the idea of them yep and i hate (laughs) and i hate the process of going to them you know what i mean like because they're and because until you get to this place like where you were with these guys where now you're actually having actual conversations. The whole point of these events is like these connections and these, uh, these, these networking kind of possibilities. Right. But Mm -hmm. very rarely do you ever get the chance to get past like that first level of conversation at these things. So Mm -hmm. the whole weekend ends up, ends up kind of feeling kind of superficial. Yeah. To a large degree. Like it's hard to get to the point where you have a couple of really meaningful connections and make the kind of the whole trip worth it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it's really easy, like to go to a huge event that's fun and there's tons of people there and there's tons going on and you're participating, but it's like, I didn't, I didn't really do anything. Like I didn't really get anything much out of the event. You know what I mean? I was just kind of there hanging out. So the events that I think you're talking about, I call them raves, right? That's <laughs> yeah. that's what I call them. And I mean, in yeah. my head, they're conceptually the same thing. Yeah, You're going with pe- people that you have something in common with. You're going to a place to be given provided entertainment or challenge. Yep. But you really don't leave there with a whole lot more than, oh my God, I got to meet seven people that have a, a Instagram profile yeah. of influence. Yeah. And then... It's like there's a group of fans there for them yep. instead of a group of equals kind of intermixed and mingling yep. and sharing and growing, growing, what? Um, <laughs> sharing and going yes. to do things together. Um, I think that, you know, that is where Winter Strong really did a good job. Summer Strong yeah. has done a really good job. Just like I told you, when I first went to the Summer Strong, I walked in the door uh, and Bert shakes my hand and he's like, Oh, by the way, I'd like to introduce you to Judd Logan. He's a four time Olympian. I'd like you to meet Jeff. He's a, a team six guy from the seals. And you know, like just boom, 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 boom. It just brought yeah. me down the totem pole pretty quick. 
but those two guys ended up being longtime friends. I mean, until Judd passed, he and I were very, very close. And um, Jeff is was my kind of roadie roommate with Sornex. So the thing is, everybody has a structure. Everybody has a scale of success and whatever. But in at least I think Sornex has done a very good job of bringing in high-profile people that can look anyone in the face and have a conversation. Yeah. That's that's what I see is different than the rave style where it's like all fun. We got the beers out here at 2 p.m., whatever. Like, just go to a concert. Like, you're going to get as <laughs> much out of that as you will going to a place where you're not yeah. actually going to gravitate to people and, and buy, learn anything. Buy the meet and greet package for the band. It's the same thing. Like, you'll get to yeah, them absolutely. seconds before the show, and that's, that's it anyways. Yeah. And I mean – that the problem is, is that more people by number will go to the rave type events yeah. than they will the quality events. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know? and it's kind of a different, uh, it's, it's a similar, similar to what we're talking about, but the purpose of it's a little bit different because it's focused on coaching, but you were also, cause we haven't talked since you went to New York to go to convergence, right? With, yeah. Greg and everything. And that's kind of another one of those ones where it's very high quality, type of weekend where you get deep with a lot of stuff and you're also there to like to learn from Greg and move and get the direct one-to-one and you know, or one-to-many from him. But it's kind of seems like it's in that same vein where it's like the purpose of it's actually much deeper than just showing up and working out for two days, you know? Well, I mean, listen, I, I think that if you're the type of person that wanted to maybe go down to, you know, train at Greg's, get instruction. He, he's never going to turn you away. I don't yeah. care what you, where you come from, what you are, who you are. If you walk in that door ready yep. and willing, you will get better. Um, I think that it's a zero tolerance for anything but that. Yeah. You know, like I don't care what your skill level is, but be ready and willing to do better. Yeah. And that's the precursor. I mean, in my words, not Greg's, but I think that, if, if somebody went to that event that was just thinking, I want to be here to be here, you would just, you would exit yourself, yeah. you know, like you would not be treated poorly. You yeah. might be just outright ignored if you you're just, not trying to engage. You just realize you're like, oh, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, I do want to say this about Greg. I've been there uh, a few times now in Convergence and then also other visits. I've never seen a CrossFit coach, uh, a high-level university strength and conditioning coach, take every single person in a room that tried a Turkish get-up and successfully completed 100%. Now, does Greg have some kind of voodoo or magic? No, but Greg pays attention to details, and he has work-throughs and work-arounds based on his own injuries, based on injuries of other people he's seen, based on 20 years of really – coming from an unorthodox place to strength and conditioning. He views strength and conditioning as a martial art. Yes. You know, so he doesn't, he doesn't abuse reps and set schemes. He doesn't abuse uh, progressive waves. He actually back, you know, kind of reverse engineered himself into those things through a martial approach. Yeah. And just his detail tuning, um, some of the, the positioning on your body to give yourself the ability to do a movement. And like one of his, great things. If we do goblet squats with a 35 pound kettlebell, you have to do 2 trillion to get any kind of effect, (laughs) you know? He's like, but if I can show you how to modify your positioning, improve your bracing, 
and change your positioning with your hands on the kettlebell, now maybe we can we can get a 125 or you know a 150 up into the proper position, and now we can squat 150 for five to eight. Yep, and that is a much more beneficial. And the same person can do it. You yep. know, it's it's somebody who is just doesn't know any better and doesn't have access to the higher weight kettlebells like Greg coaches with. Yep. They just get stuck into this, well, I'm going to do 1,600 burpees and I'm going to do, you know, 500 squats with a 30-pound kettlebell. Yeah. No, kettlebell training, mace training can be extremely violent, extremely brutal, and extremely impactful to the body. I think Greg is one of – I mean, Greg has just been fucked over by the industry because of his his inability – to compress himself or condense himself into a packageable thing, yep. you know? And, um, but Greg is, as I don't think Greg as, would classify that as an inability also. That's very on purpose. For well, him. that's <laughs> what, what I mean. But I mean yeah. like a, a soulful inability, right. like right. it would offend my right. soul yes. to abandon all that I've done yes. just for a dollar. Like, yep. and I respect the hell out of that. I admire it. I understand it. And I definitely, as much as I can get people looking at Greg's stuff, look at it under don't try to understand anything more than you have to yeah. like it's complicated yeah you know he has he has so much symbology he has so much thought into every word that he that he types if you just read the captions of greg's post you would be a better human right if you just looked at the photographs of some of greg's posts and thought about them you would probably be a better human so imagine reading his work seeing his imagery and then applying his training. I'm not saying become if, obsessive. If all you did was watch just his exercise demos in the YouTube library. For sure. Like and that, they're all free. They're yeah. all there. Yeah. So it, it just, if you just took away the perception of people, you know, the judging a book by yeah. its cover and actually read the content, I don't know many places that are doing as many innovative, impressive, repeatable and applicable to anyone that walks through the door things yeah. than Wolf Brigade. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's just a fact. Like it's, it's one of the most impressive exhibitions of strength and conditioning that I've ever seen from a discipline level, from an understanding level and from unique application that I've never seen anywhere else. I think, so, the, I think the, I mean, you say that about anybody else, you put that, you put that slogan on a, on a guy that's running a gym that looks like Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> and it's like, everybody's going to be there. Yeah. Right. But Greg looks scary. Talking to Greg can be intimidating. Mm -hmm. Literally would give you everything he owns and, and destroy himself to help one person. So, you know, convergence is amazing. If you're a strength coach, if you're a person that just is looking to get better, this is my endorsement fully, yeah. like completely. And Greg has even said, if you go and get nothing, he will hand your money back before you leave the door. Like, I don't know any other places saying that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, Check him out. Check out his maces. Check out his kettlebells. If you, and this is this is purely an advertisement for me. Stop buying like these imitation maces. If that's all you can afford, great. If that's all you can get your hands on, great. That's fine. But if you're making a choice based on, well, this company out of, out of Texas makes really cool maces. Well, I can tell you, those maces aren't jack shit compared to the ones that Greg has made. The handle on Greg's are longer. They're thicker. They've got an end cap, which gives variability to the movement. They're threaded and then welded on. So you can beat them against shit. Yeah. Like I've broken two of the ones from Texas myself before I knew anything about Greg's just hitting them on a tire. Yeah. So Greg's can literally be blown up. 
and still function. They'll outlive all of us. (laughs) They will. And that's what it should do. (laughs) So anyway, ran over 20 minutes in. (laughs) It's good with me, man. Did you shoot, uh, what did you shoot bow wise when you were up there? I shot my compound. Um, I did the recurve deal last year and, um, that was probably somewhat driven by the fact of fear for the hunts that I had coming up. I just wanted as many opportunities to shoot my recurve as I could, especially well, now at, you were super, I mean, you were like that and nothing else at that point last year though. Like that yeah. was when you're in the middle of, you hadn't even touched your other bow in months. Yeah. It was about a year actually that I didn't yeah. even touch the other bow. Yeah. And you know, I'm glad I did. Levi called me Levi Morgan, um, greatest living archer, probably greatest archer ever. Um, he hit me up about coming to a Texas, uh, whitetail hunt. And, you know, it was a, it was a, for his television show. And then he also had a product release that he was doing. And he was like, the, the one question he asked me is he said, would, would you be willing to shoot your compound? And I said, for sure, man. Cause like, this is, this is a guy that's been really good to me. I've been to yeah. his house. I've, I've had meals with him. I've met his family and just super positive in my life. And, when he asked me that, it was like, well, my ego is not bigger than our friendship, you know? Right. So I was like, let's go and getting down there to shoot with him and watch him shoot and being around those guys. Like it gave me after a year with the recurve, it gave me a newfound joy again. Mm. So I'm not shooting it nearly as heavily as my recurve, but I still try to shoot it once a week Yeah, and then, and shooting it out there. I mean, I just had an absolute blast. Um, I will never get tired of watching an arrow fly 90 yards and hit what it's intended to hit. You know <laughs> what I mean? Cool. Um, but this morning I, I told you I was going to send you that video. Um, I got my, my Buona bow kind of tuned in. It was, it was super close, but my other bow came from somebody that absolutely knows bows inside and out. And I got their specs. So I was able to use their specs that they had shot with and been successful with. So it wasn't a lot of guesswork. Sure. But I wanted my Buona bow to shoot exactly like that. So I used the yeah. same arrow as the other bow, tried to do the same draw length and everything else. And I got close, but I was kind of fudging it. Mm. So after the season ended and kind of got away from it for a second, went a little heavier on the front end and uh, extended my draw length about a half an inch. And it made all the difference in the world. Nice. But, um, you know, that's it's just fun for me. It's like solving a math problem you know, trying to get everything. I mean, flight is the coolest thing ever, right? So if I can figure out how to make a string bow or a stick bow Mm -hmm. shoot 40 yards accurately, and I can figure out how to get a compound to shoot 120 (laughs) accurately, and then I can take a rifle, anything over 150 yards, you know, it's like, I'm pretty well covered on all my fronts. That's yeah, what you're I'm not, looking for. Yeah, anything under a mile, you're like pretty good with. <laughs> no, I've, I've actually shot to a mile. I've <clears> actually shot to too. a mile on steel. So a mile or in, I'm trying to be highly capable. <laughs> be there? I lost you, man. I there we go. You. you got me now? Yeah, yeah. There we um, go. Have you ever been out to Brian Morgan's at Hat Creek? training no but that's dude, you, in, i need to get you out there dude that's in the town that my son's named after okay <laughs> and that's well that was that was Dan, one of the danny cool- goes up there a lot for that yeah danny's that's tight it. with with brian um, yeah but man i went up there with uh the the eberly stock crew a number oh, yeah. of years ago at out there yep 
and he brought some stuff. And just to tell you, I mean, we were on a we were on a tripod, not laying prone. We were standing on a tripod, hitting targets at eleven hundred yards. Woof. And I'm telling you, that's that's with Brian's gun, that's with Brian's dope setting, that's with yeah. Brian's instruction, like right over my shoulder. Yep. But still, like balls were hanging a little low that day. Like I was feeling pretty good, <laughs> pinging steel at eleven hundred yards <laughs> on a stick. That's cool. And then uh, pinging a mile. Yeah. You know as I mean, that will never not be cool. That's you know pretty I mean? awesome. Yeah. I've heard, a, I've heard a lot of good things about up there and that, yeah, that literally, that's the town that I've gone in with my dad and gone steelhead fishing since I was 10 years old and he's gone there for 40 years and gone steelhead fishing. So, uh, that, do, you, do you fly fish quite a bit? I have never fly fished oh, actually. Okay. And it's one of those things I was funny. You mentioned that because I think because I know myself and you know me in this regard too, cause you're the same. Like that would be, I think another thing where like archery, it's like, if I start this, I'm dude, I'm in kind of, well, thing, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I've, I've just never, I've just never started it. Like when we go steelhead fishing, we do real, yeah. Uh, and you know, big heavy reels and stuff. Cause steelhead mm-hmm. are giant, but, um, yeah. Yeah, I've never gotten in. I've never even tried it though. So it's not like I've got, I've tried it and be like, eh, it wasn't for me. I love to try it. I just haven't, haven't done it yet. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, I got introduced to it a number of years ago in Colorado and then went back and had some dedicated time to spend with it at Raywa Ranch with the Marine guy, with the uh, Recon Sniper Foundation. Yeah. And um, got to do some outreach work with the veterans group there and they took us fly fishing. And it was, uh, you're exactly right. Like I was in just on the fishing. Yeah. And then I started watching the guys tie the flies. Yep. And I was like, oh, well, my life is over, (laughs) but, uh, there's, there's actually, there's just something even more peaceful about it to me than regular fishing, because I like to fish, but when you're sitting there just watching a line and nothing is happening, I get, I get so bored so fast. Yeah. But fly fishing the way we were doing, especially we were, we were at the bend of a Creek Yeah. and, uh, what we were doing is we were casting left you know, over towards our left shoulder. Yep. Letting the current was coming left to right. Yep. And I would just let the bobber come around. As soon as it would get to about, you know, like three o'clock on my right side, whip it out, out again to the left. And it was just a constant rhythmic yeah. kind of meditative thing. And then you got the birds singing and you got the yep. damn water. Like if somebody cool. needs to de-stress, go fly fishing. If, if you don't care about catching a fish, yeah. go fly fishing. Yeah. You know, but I loved it. I, I really, I'd love to get out there where you're at. Cause you go up, um, towards the Nez Perth out there, just take a drive up the salmon river and stuff. It's insane. Well, even as far as fly fishing goes, if you go, uh, a little bit East of, uh, like Haley area <clears throat> is, uh, a town called Peekaboo yep. and it's where the silver Creek is, which is like one of the most famous fly fishing creeks yeah. in the entire country uh and i deer hunted up in that area a couple of times and camped like on one of the campgrounds that's right on the creek and mm-hmm. it's just like the coolest place ever and so there's and they have like shops in town that are just fly fishing shops because you can't actually yeah. even you're not even allowed to by regulation not fly fish on on the creek there you can't take a regular rod and reel out there you have to fly fish on the creek that's awesome so like all the there's a big shop in town and they've got like it's just racks and ra- and tables of like six inch boxes wide and deep of billions of flies. 
Oh, like, yeah. And so you go in there and they've got like every little aspect of everything and they'll like hook you up from the very start, like just in this one shop in the middle of this town that's got 200 people in it, but it's on the creek. So it's like that's kind of the hub for a lot of that stuff. It's super do you think cool. That's, do you think that stuff's going away? The Because I, I wanted to ask you this in yeah. the context of tack. <clears throat> yeah. So we've we've seen the explosion of the outdoor space. You know, we've seen hunters become outside the industry celebrities like cam haynes i got a really strange feeling at tack this year that it's oh not, not and I, I do not want to shit on sean or tack itself this is more of an economy-based observation okay i don't think with 23 events or 22 i think maybe for the total archery challenge you know, just put yourself in the in the context of let's say no bad strength mm-hmm. is a corporation or a business yeah. and you're looking to sponsor a, a tent. Let's just say it's a thousand dollars for argument. Okay. Well now you're at twenty three thousand dollars if you sign up for the legacy tour, which is the entire thing. Yep. I don't know that a lot of companies in twenty twenty three, if it's a thousand dollars or if it's ten thousand dollars or whatever it is. I just don't think they have the money to spread over those many events. Yeah. Um, I don't know that people have the money or the extra money to travel. I don't know that people have the extra money to get there and spend purchase, you know, purchase from the booze that are actually there. Yeah. Uh, some for sure. Yep. But it just felt like it just felt very different to me. And that is not, I'm only saying this, about tack because I was there, but this is yeah. an observation I am making at large across the board. Um, do you think the, the economy is again, you're not an economist. I'm not either, but just two guys talking. Do you think the economy is headed South like further right now? Just in general or in regards? Yeah. To just like in general. The outdoor. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, there's, there's a lot of stuff that I think is going to get worse before it gets better, yeah. but I don't think that it's going to stay worse. You know, yeah. like you think this is a, everything is cyclical and it has been forever. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, the cycle of things is, is interesting to observe. And I think some cycles last longer than others, even if they were short lived at one time, they might be longer lived than another. Well, look, I'm like, I'm, I'm as much, and you know this and you know my group of friends know this and it's kind of become like a joke but i love a good conspiracy as much as anybody right yeah but i don't i'm not like one of the doomers you know what i mean mm-hmm. where it's everything's going everything's going south forever and the, the, we got to get used to living in a apocalyptic mad max world right like i don't know that it'll be that and yeah. I'm not going to say that there's all these reasons that I have that prove that, but because of the cyclical nature of everything, not just economy wise, but just right. everything like that's how it's, that's how it's gone forever. So like all the, the fun things that I like love to repeat conspiracy wise and tell stories about and like kind of dive into that are fun. Some of them can get pretty weird and dark and it's like, how do you come back if this is what's going on? Right. You know, but like, I don't, I don't, get the super depressed black pill thing from that. Like, that's just not how I am about it. 
Well, good. Cause <laughs> yeah. I'm not that way. <laughs> <laughs> we balance each other out. <laughs> yeah. No, I can, uh, I can seriously have no grounding of, of belief in, in, in something. And I can read so much about it that I'm like, well, this has to be true. Like this, <laughs> this even though I know it's not be true, even though I know it's crazy or something, but, uh, <laughs> I like to, I like to read and observe and, and look at people's things, you know, like mm-hmm. one of the big ones right now is the Wagner group in Russia. Yeah, and, uh, weird thing, dude. well, there's a lot of weird things going on. Like the U S Navy knew about the submarine crash late Saturday night, actually before midnight on Sunday morning. And yeah. the news did not report any of that for four a week, days, three days, four days, something whatever like that. it was. Yeah. Okay. Keep me straight here. Fact checker. Yeah. Thir- um, well, it was from Sunday to Thursday. Cause Thursday yeah, yeah, you're right. But, announced- yeah. So, so it's like, you're talking three, four days. Why? You know, you're looking at the Wagner group in Russia. How do you get, Russian troops into Belarus after NATO's told you not to, you drive your militant militia into Moscow where all the Russian troops are, switch your shirts around, and now all the Russian troops go to Belarus. You know, um, but now they're saying that the U.S. was aware that this was deceptive and this was all, the plan all along. Um, then why the hell didn't they disseminate that to the media to be like, mm-hmm. stop sharing this to the American public? It's fake. You know, like, where is that oversight? Not only that, but literally not 48 hours prior to all that happening was when somebody, I can't remember what her name was for the, for the white house or the something stood up and goes, uh, yeah, there was an accounting error, uh, that we discovered that we, we don't have $6.2 billion that we thought we did. Like, Oh really? Where'd that go? 48 hours later, look what happens. It's like, (laughs) like whether or not that's actually directly correlated or not, it's like, that's, a pretty convenient coincidence. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then well, them saying it afterwards that they're like, they were aware of it. Like I was, I mean, in our, one of our like friend group chats or whatever, when all of it was going on, I'm like, this has, this is the same thing that every, every international quote unquote coup for the last 60 years all kind of have this same CIA flavored theme to it. Dude, it's that you know smell I, test. You know what I mean? It's like, the same smell test. I was saying test this the second about. it was going on, this has CIA written all over it. And it was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm like, dude, just think about it for two seconds. Yep. It's, uh, I am, I am concerned about the growing connections, you know, between the BRICS group. Um, it's, it's right now, it, to me, it seems like it's electric versus petroleum. It's yeah. kind of the way that things are aligning. Yeah. But have you watched any of the, the C-SPAN stuff on like the EPA commission and these individuals no. that are like dictating that we have to have zero carbon by 2030 or whatever? Uh-uh. I'll have to send you a couple videos. Um, and again, I don't know the numbers, if they're accurate or if this, this guy's just proven a point, but the senator asking the questions of these officials – actually has scientific information of the answers he's asking. <laughs> then so, they don't know that he has. The and they don't know that they don't know the, yeah, know the answers. And it's like, well, it's, it's hard to say. And he was like, well, according to this uh, study, it, it says this. And it's like one lady comes in there and says that if we try to do anything, even close to what they're projecting by 2030, we will need 200% more power to fuel the country by half. So that's one, that's one estimate. And then he gets the EPA guy in there and he asks him and he goes, it's going to be a 0.4% increase in uh, need. And then it, then it goes on and there's another, another statistic. They can't even run 
uh, 10 homes in this city off a 15 acre solar plot, 10 homes for a year off of 15 acres of solar panels. You know what I mean? It's like, got to get rid of all the cows though. Yeah. Get rid of the cows, get rid of the grass, get rid of the the things that actually recycle and improve the earth. And let's, it's it's such bullshit, man. Eat the bugs. Eat the, you will eat (laughs) bugs. Uh, but I don't know. I, I was going to ask you this and that's kind of why I brought it up mm-hmm. as a, you know, as a Christian and as a, a religious man mm-hmm. in the context of the Bible and revelations, one of my favorite verses in revelations is 2020 when he talks about casting Satan into the pit mm-hmm. with the key for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And then he comes out for a thousand year reign. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the fact and the eventuality of that, the world will be in chaos. There will be famine. There will be drought. There will be flood. There will be, misconstrued seasons there will be all these things going on and argumentatively throughout history on the cusp of of new ages it's always seemed like the world is coming undone right Mm -hmm. so there is that argument to the bible it's like it's such an obtuse statement that through somebody's eyes the world is always ending right yeah but right now on the cusp of nuclear war uh, nuclear potential for war um, all the disruptiveness of our commodities, you know, are, are, are we going electric? Are we staying with petroleum? What does that mean for the countries at large? Why is it fucking raining in the deserts of the Middle East and it's drought in the Midwest of the U.S.? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, those kind of things. Does that ever concern you or do you like big man's got it? Uh, well, and I'm not saying that lightly. I'm saying no, like, like it, I am it, saying that honestly because it's both. It's not, right. it's not either or because <clears throat> like the fact that we'll have to live through that doesn't mean that the second part of it still isn't true in my belief. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. because there have been points of, like you said, there's been points of turmoil and famine and all this kind of stuff since the beginning of time, mm-hmm. like in, in diff- again, in different cycles. Right. But how I how I view this, that doesn't mean that that still wasn't how it was going to happen. And that still doesn't mean that he still got it. Right. No, I appreciate that aspect. I mean, and so we, we just happen to live in one of those times. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, even if you look at, I mean, but that's, and this is the thing, think about, and you and I weren't really, we, neither of us were alive, but it's not that far removed from our generation, but like the middle of the cold war stuff. Yeah. Right. Like how close was anybody actually to, to nuclear war? We like, we don't, I mean, we have estimates like how close somebody was to actually pressing the button, but during the the height of it, I mean, kids were practicing hiding under desks in school, like as part of a regular thing, Mm. you know what I mean? Like there was always this looming fear. And then there was two wars during that in Korea and Vietnam. I mean, there was Mm. like, there's every time, every Every generation has a thing, you know what I mean? And there, and I don't know that there's been any that can like float through and be like, ah, my, our whole life, nothing's gone wrong our entire time on this planet. And I remember that, uh, there was a, and I think the first time I saw it was something was one Bert shared it, but it was like this kind of this meme that somebody had put together that said like, if somebody, cause it's a couple years old now, but it was like, if somebody was born in 1918 and we're still alive today. Like these are all the things that they've lived through in their life. If somebody was born in 1918, right. And it's like, yeah. you start with 
World War One and the Spanish flu, like out the gate, you know, and then you have the depression, you have World War Two, you have the Cold War, you have Korea, you have Vietnam, you have like the the recession in the late seventies, you have all the stuff like the eighties was kind of like this weird, but even then there was still cold war things until the late eighties. I mean, like every decade has a thing that seems like the worst thing of the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So do you think that's, do you think that's sub- subversively driven just to keep chaos? I wouldn't. Or do see you think this- that man, do you think that man's duality is, is always good versus evil? Well, I, our, so here, let's do this. Our nature is as sinners, as I believe, right? Right. And so there's always going to be that part of us. And right. some people give into it much easier and much deeper and much more than other people. And so that that existing in people like mm-hmm. will always create the polar opposite of what we want to actually have happen. Yeah, that's what, you know, it's funny you talk about that because peace is an, is an ideal. It's mm-hmm. not, it's, it's not a, it's not a real thing anywhere in yeah. in all of the earth, nature, or the universe. Peace is an ideal. Um, in the wild, if you have teeth on the front of your face that extend forward and narrow eyes, you will have to bite something by the throat to get your food. Yeah. You know, um, as a man or as a human, you will have to, for thousands of years, stab, poke, prod, shoot, trap, trip, choke, whatever you can to eat, mm-hmm. you know, and we're just finding out now, uh, they found that big cave cavern of, uh, cannibalized human bones, Yeah, you know? So it's like, how, how bad is the world today? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's one thing that I go back to like versus all of time. Can you imagine living in the time of of uh, the Mongols and Khan and like unbelievable word of mouth travel of how devastatingly brutal and murderous and, and villainous this human being is. And you're just waiting in the, in the countryside of whatever nation you exist in waiting and hearing the thunder come. Yes. A million horse, uh, horse hooves at a time. Yes. To burn, rape, pillage, destroy, conquer. Well, and everyone does the same thing. Like they kind of romanticize the Vikings now because of the show and because of like this kind of they're so hot popular they're Norse so hot. thing, right? And it's like, <laughs> dude, they were raggedy. They were big. They were big dudes, but they were like raggedy, gross guys that murdered and raped everything. Everything. Like, yeah, they they would sweep across villages in North England, like, and, and all over throughout Europe, like locusts, literally, right. like they would yeah. just swarm and destroy things. And then you think of like, even in Central America, there's caverns filled with hundreds of thousands of child skulls yeah. from child sacrifice. Yeah. Right. Like there's, there's these things that a lot of times we even now, yes, it's terrible. I still believe this is the like best time in history to be alive. Yeah, I do too. You know what I mean? I agree with that. Like, yeah. and, and there's, and we're so disconnected from what it takes to have to survive rather than just, we get to kind of exist and live day to day. Like we're so disconnected from that culturally that we can't even fathom some of the evils that have existed around the planet in the past. Like it doesn't yeah. even compute like, well, what do you mean? How can somebody do this? Like everybody's happy and we're all connected. And it's like, no, this is not how it is. Like, dude, this is a, a hundredth of bad as it's been at some points 
yeah. in different parts of the world. Like, but before everything, like you said, like it was word of mouth. It wasn't going any farther than word of mouth could travel at right. the speed of word of mouth could travel. Right. We're yeah. now in one second, you and I can have thoughts about what's going on in Russia and all this, like uh, until, uh, until 60 years ago, a hundred years ago at the most, like that was, we never knew what was going on day to day on the other side of the planet. I think that's a problem. You know what I mean? Like we we're so hyper connected to things that are don't. away from where we currently exist. Yeah. And they don't even really, they, we can't change them. We can't mm -mm. impact them. They don't no. impact us directly other than stress. You yeah, know? And, but I think that's, I, I think not that that was the direct intent when a lot of this mass communication was formed, but I think they realized that that was a useful, a useful tactic using it once they realized the, the possibility of, Hey, we can kind of keep people freaked out all the time and that's yeah. not bad for us. Well, you know what I mean? Do you know that, um, like I, I believe it, I believe it was all made with good intent to a degree. It was yeah. like, Oh, this is amazing. We'll be able to like trade and do business and all these things instantly. And there's all this massive benefit to it. But then we go back and be like, yeah, but we're all sinners and some people are really bad people and evil yeah. exists. And like, they're going to uh, use that for bad purposes. I wanted to read this quote to you because it's one of my favorites. It's from fight club. But I also think it explains a lot of the problems and it touches base on what you were talking about, how good life is contextually now versus yeah. ever. But we're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war has become a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. We're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. Mm -hmm. Now, in that scenario, pissed off is a call to action. Right. You know, like figure your shit out, get out yeah. here and fight for it. Yep. I think a lot of people are pissed off and cowering. Yeah. I think that whole sentiment right there, it does comprehensively cover a lot of the struggles of man. I won't speak to women. I'm speaking about men. Mm -hmm. Men need struggle. Men need challenge. Men need a fight. I really do believe that. Like you have to be fighting for something. I'm not saying a physical fight. I'm not saying an altercation, but if you're not going to work today, fighting mentally for yourself, for your family or the people that you love and care for, what are you going to work for? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not like, that's kind of a stretch, but these men had no choice to go to war. You know, we have a choice to do every single thing that we do today, but we need things to challenge us and push us and inspire us. Because I think as a whole, we're an uninspired nation. Yeah. You know, we're, we're severely lacking. And I mean, being in the airport the last month, you know, I've traveled every freaking weekend. Um, you look at some of these sorry asses. I mean, low down sorry asses. I'm not talking like 10, 15 pounds overweight. I'm talking about could not get out of the way to save themselves, let alone do anything functional, proper, appropriate, reasonable to help you. Like I asked a lady if she could hand me a straw and this fat bitch looked at me like I just asked her to run a marathon. Like, can you hand me the straw that your fat fucking ass is blocking? Please. Thank you. And then when I asked her, she just asked, act like I, I don't even know, man, but yeah. I'm, I'm over it. Like I'm over incapable. People. Airport I'm, is like the most depressing place. Ever. Dude. It's the worst. Like 
I've, I've said this before and I'll say it right now. I like exit rows because I would save myself and forget everybody else. Because have you ever watched people board a plane? Mm-hmm. They cannot even get on a plane mm-hmm. in a straight line with a marked number and put their suitcase in a bin that is designed to hold a suitcase. Like it is one of the slowest, most inefficient processes I've ever seen. And then they have to get off a plane. That's the worst. Now imagine in a scenario where something tragic is happening and every second counts, every decision by every single person on that plane comes into effect. Yep. Get out the window, get out the window. I need my dog. I need to get my precious dog and my bag and my, (laughs) and my hat. I need my hat. You know, like that's the world we live in. You know, um, people, people don't have any fire under their feet for anything. So everything is just like a casual about me decision. And, uh, yeah, that's a problem. Very for much. me. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, because where did I go when I was when I just flew down to Colorado about a month yep. ago? Like I hadn't flown anywhere since February, <clears throat> and I tried to like. I'm also like you in this sense. I try to not fly as much as I can, <laughs> as mm-hmm. much as I can. But where I live, it's pretty hard to do the things where the people I want to go see are and not fly without it taking me three days to drive there. No doubt, dude. You, you know, live, you live away. I know. Like, I think I did the I I I map quest and make me sound ancient. Map quested, or just Google mapped or whatever. If Let me grab I, my Rand McNally World yeah. Atlas. What <laughs> a trip! Just That's my dad. Up, to unfold. this day, yep. To this day, my dad. Use a roadmap. Uh, I I mapped how long it would take me to drive from my house to uh, to Sornex because mm-hmm. I'm like I really don't want to fly. Thirty five hours. It's like thirty four and a half. Yeah. yeah, like of drive time. I think so, I've looked from Sornex to your or to you know Boise yeah, area. Yeah, yeah, it's brutal, and I'm like yeah. I I'd have to turn it into like a nine day trip for it to even be worth it because I'm yeah. tr- I'm literally driving for six of them. So it's yeah. like, it's a, such a pain. So I try to not fly, but like even a month ago when I, I could have probably just driven to Colorado Springs, it was like short trip. I'm just going to fly down, hang out, come back. The, the Boise airport isn't terrible. The Colorado Springs airport is small, so it's not bad. But Denver is just the Abysmal. worst. Yep. Like I flew everything out of Denver. <laughs> about it. Yeah. Everything it's- about it. The, the layout of it mm-hmm. is, is so stupid. And then you see how just depressed everybody in the building is all the time. And then if we want to go down some other weird conspiracy stuff here for a moment. Oh, the Denver uh, Airport is Denver it. Denver Airport is like they've got literal pictures of like Satan and pentagrams uh, and, and shit. pentagrams <laughs> and like making light of these jokes about all these secret tunnels that exist under the and Denver Airport. And you're like, they're still they're probably really there, though. And there's weird stuff that happens there. Yeah, I mean. There's there's definitely some some raised eyebrows over some of the the symbology there. Because you can the, tell what they're trying to do is like make it tongue in cheek, like oh this is what people say about us. Let's lean into yeah, yeah. it. But I'm like, I no like yeah. It <laughs> like, doesn't make me not believe it. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh. What is the one thing the the greatest expression of subversion is right in your face. <laughs> yeah. You know? Exactly. Like, uh, exactly. When they can put it in your face mm-hmm. and get away with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Denver. That's happening a lot. Also, I don't. Right I don't like. I have to be very careful here. I don't like Colorado very much. Um, <laughs> the people are basically California. You know, I mean, you're getting a lot of that influence there. You're getting a lot of that influence into Montana. 
Wyoming. Um, and that's a whole different thing. Like, I don't, I don't know what happened in California. Cause I mean, that place used to be cool and progressive and, and forward thinking, but man, like they've just fallen apart. And now those people, because it's impossible to live there mm-hmm. are bringing all that trickle down East into those mountain States. And what they're doing is buying second, third, fourth homes, driving the property values through but the roof. Crap and, is so expensive here. Housing and they are crushing. They are crushing the locals. Like they're making it impo- like you can't even buy a house. You know, as a local where you live is where you're bound destined to live. Because if you sell that house and make your profit, you can almost guarantee that you can't replace the house you just bought. At best, it's a, at best, it's a lateral movement. At like best, I'm just, it's I'm, lateral. I'm living in the same house. It's just a different location of the same. Like yeah. you're not able to, like that's, I mean, essentially what we've been kind of dealing with for the last mm. year plus, like uh, it's just so, and, and now even up here, just general markets way slowed down. Like there's nothing of inventory. There's so little available right now. So yeah. we're kind of cool. And I've, to- I've told you a lot about that, but dude, it's, that's exactly what it is. Although I will tell you this, did you see when you're talking about all these California things that are leaving and coming into these, you know, Northwest mountain States, Utah, Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, like all this stuff. And then obviously they're going to Texas, they're going to Colorado. Uh, they're going into Phoenix. Right. But like, did you the see guy that lives here? But the, the guy that lives just over here yeah. is uh, from Washington state. Yeah, and he Washington was like, I sold my house too. and pocketed two thirds of what he sold it for and bought this place and now he can retire in five years. Exactly. So you know what I mean? Like it's a downsizing. That's two things. Have you seen that? Like 60% of the state of Oregon is in the process of like voting and petition and petition to become part of Idaho. Yeah. I've seen that. And and it's like, it's gotten way farther than a lot of people thought it was. But the thing is, Idaho also has to vote and agree on it, you know, and right. that's where I'm pretty sure it'll die. But all of this stuff in Oregon, it's wild how far it's gotten. It's yeah. almost all the way up to Bend, which if you go all the way to Bend westward, there's not much of the state west of that. Like right. it's literally all the coastal stuff and Bend is like as far east as will remain as a part of Oregon. Yeah. And like it's something not like campaigns has anything 12, to say about it. <laughs> 12 or 13 counties in Oregon and they're huge counties. It's most of the state has like gone far. So there's that happening. And then, uh, just this week in the last handful of days or whatever, the Idaho, uh, I think it was the, the, cause the, the, the GOP legislature in Idaho has like a super majority in Idaho, right? It's like 90% of the legislature, right? Hardworking people voting conservatively. Wow. Exactly. (laughs) Stretch. They just, they just voted to, if and there's there's the contingency on if if there is no abolishment or reform of the FBI, they've voted to negate their jurisdiction in the entire state of Idaho. Good. Fuck yeah. the FBI. Like and and that's like that they're the first state to do something like that. And I'm like, that is actually wicked. And it's going to, I think, hopefully trickle out to other places. And not that it necessarily means anything will happen with the FBI, but that's kind of the point. It's like, okay, if you're not, then (laughs) good luck doing anything here. If you're going to be the status quo, you're not allowed here. Like this is, this is public action at its best because I'm not saying that dismantling the FBI or the CIA or the NSA is the, you know, the alphabet soup that basically dictates what this country knows, does, and sees. Um, I'll say it. 
Well, I will say that too. But <laughs> Get I mean, rid of them all. <laughs> I, I, but let's make the argument that they have to stay. Right. Then reform. Like, yeah. we know you're bad. We know that you're at the January 6th shit. We know that you, like, these are these are well, not conspiracy theories. These are known things. Like, if you yes. just want to look back at all the shit that the CIA and FBI have been tied to against U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. Like, the one that pissed me off the most, I think we might have talked about this, how the, the CIA, or was it the FBI? One or the other was finding these kids and then like gaming chat rooms yeah. and basically grooming them to school violence. Yeah. And a kid, a guy in Oklahoma found out that his kid was getting ready to go shoot up a school and started looking at his computer. Well, he's in it. Mm-hmm. He found out through like three redirects of IP addresses and whatnot, that it was coming from uh, the FBI base or CIA and Langley. And it's, it's actually in court right now. And yeah, from everything I've seen, they're winning, you know, uh, like it's, it's proven that they were multiple agents were grooming this developmentally challenged, but functional child from a gaming chat room. Dude, not, I mean, we could take it kind of a dark turn here, but have you ever wondered how all the school shooters have $8,000 setups of Daniel oh, that's Defense the one in Texas? And- yeah. I mean, all of them. That's, I mean, all you're like, this kid was, had one parent, like terrible life. They couldn't afford food, but he's got 10 grand worth of ammo. He's got a $2,700 sight on his rifle. Exactly. You know what I mean? Uh, There's that. And then there's the deal in Vegas, that shooting, man. Like I know people that do crime scene forensics. And if you watch that video and you see how many shots were shot and where they were shot from, one person could not have done that. The amount of ammunition and reloads and, the caliber differences and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. impossible by one person impossible. And then to get it up into the, however, whatever 30th floor, how many like, guns was it? It was like 200 guns and it thousands. Was, it was unbelievable amount, but it was, yeah. they, but just weight alone. They, they, uh, in volume of how big all these things were, they, they, some said they would have estimated like you would have had to have taken him like eight or nine trips of a full like luggage thing yeah. to get it up there. And it's like, no, how do you, yeah. how does nobody catch any of that? Right. You know what I mean? Like, well, his brother was like, this is the most insane thing I've ever heard of. Yes. You know, like some of the things that he broke down and then listen. And it wasn't a month later. It wasn't a month later that it was gone. Yeah. Completely gone. Never. And nobody's talked about it since. I we do. Still think don't that's, know. We still don't know the motive. Yeah. That's true. I mean, that's very true. Like even McVeigh. Uh, back in Oklahoma City was seemingly one of those deals where, hey man, you want to be a p- real patriot? Like he was yeah. coerced into it, not yeah. coerced, maybe like groomed into it, suggested. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I when it, when you really, you know, I've got the uh, you know stars and stripes and a big bald eagle tattooed on my back. Obviously, mm-hmm. I I believed in the words my grandfather told me about this country that he fought for. Mm-hmm. You know, and I still think we have the potential to be the greatest country in the world. But if you just look at the, if you look at the statistics, if you look at the earnings of the American citizen in America against internationals that move here and, you know, like the Indians and the Asians, they have such, it's a, it's a culture thing. They have Mm -hmm. such a culture of demand for excellence Mm -hmm. that they are coming to foreign country, starting with an uphill battle and succeeding against a group of people that say, that say, I can't get what I want. Yeah. You know, um, something is very, very wrong with the culture here. 
I don't know if it's the, the breakdown of the family because then you have no, you know, you have no one saying to you, do better. You can do better than this. You are better than this. Um, I don't know if that's where it starts or what, but we are losing ground on every front to people that come to this country from within this country. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Like good on them for coming here and, and pursuing their, their dreams. But where did we get so off course in our ability to achieve those dreams as a collective? And then also this is, this is probably the big, the question I want you to focus on. Do you think we are actually free? And this is where it's going to get a little weird. Do you think that the national anthem, the star spangled banner, um, all the patriotism stuff around Mm -hmm. July 4th and everything. Do you think that those are building ties to a thing, a country that wants you to say the word that I am free, that wants you to say that I am proud, that wants to ingrain those thoughts in your brain in opposition to what you feel truthfully? a good question uh to focus on the second part first i think there's freedom defined a couple different ways because we have freedoms here Mm -hmm. that don't exist other places like as almost as singular objects like we have the and it's more like we have the ability to to say things and do things and even that is like not really as much as we would have thought anymore you know but if you think strict, if you, if from an economic standpoint, if you think about it strictly in tax conversation, mm-hmm. like most people are paying upwards of 40% sure. of what they earn. And this is all, all levels of the mm-hmm. economic ladder. And most people don't think that it's 40% because it's like, oh no, I'm only in the 12% because I don't make enough tax bracket. Well, what about all of the other taxes that you're paying on everything else in your life? Fuel. Fuel, fuel tax, sales tax. I mean, in some Mm -hmm. states, sales tax, uh, property taxes. There's like all these, every, I mean, it's, there's so many and there's so, there's so small of things in our life that we don't even notice that they're there. And that's kind of the point. Like it's literally the nickel and diming effect, right? Like we put all these things in and it's like, oh, 1% here, 1% here, 2% here on every purchase that you have. I'm only a 3%er, bro. Right. (laughs) Keep it there, you know, right. All in life. Yes. And, uh, and so most people don't even realize. And, and the other thing that I think, uh, because people have taxes automatically withdrawn from their paychecks, yeah. right? If people had to physically write out a check for their taxes, instead of having it taken out of every single paycheck automatically without them seeing it, that would be a huge wake up call for most people. Yeah. Cause most people or, don't know what they don't have. Right. It's like, well, this gets deposited. I don't know what was taken out. Like I just assume it's all kosher. You know yeah. what I mean? And so playing by the rules. Exactly. Like if you have to physically write out a check for 360 something dollars to the federal government every two weeks. Yeah. You're like, uh, no. Or like every April you're like, uh, what do you mean? I, I have to pay three grand. Like, where did that come instead of getting a refund back for $2,600 or whatever it is? Well, you know, what's even funny about the refund stuff, the government is actually using citizens for profit on a refund. Because they're not I mean, money. You're it's yeah. They're investing it 
while they're holding it until they give it back to you. That's the same yes. thing that banks yes. that they do whenever you reject a purchase for seven days. Mm-hmm. Imagine a million people reject a $1 purchase yeah. and they don't have to refund it for seven days. Right. Yeah. How many, how many thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars does a million make in seven days? Yeah. Like that is, that is why they delay your deferment because that money stays invested to their benefit. Yep. And then they kick back, you know, on a, on a million dollars. I mean, yeah. what's seven days of just pressing a button to send it back in seven yeah. days and they gain while it's going. I mean, and everybody, that's always, what I look at. Everybody always makes the, like you see it all over the place. When people talk about, um, as far as like the education in high school where it's like, Oh man, I wish I would have learned how to do my taxes or how come they don't teach me like these kind of things in, in high school and economics. It's all stuff that I haven't used since. And, uh, I think there's a very specific reason why taxes aren't taught in a yeah. widespread degree. Cause if, if there's a whole generation that grew up learning what taxes actually were like, yeah. that would be uprising one Oh one. Or know imagine I mean? this, you're not teaching kids about a fundamental aspect of their lives in a government supported school system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going down that all schools are bad. You know, I don't think that, I don't think that the education system is inherently the worst thing. I mean, for these people that are shouting that at yeah. large, okay, who's going to, who's going to teach the kids you, yeah. you know, and maybe you can, that's great, but we have to have social solutions for these things. Mm-hmm. And the education system at large is, is a great idea, much like the FBI and CIA, great ideas. The execution has been poor. Well, and um, it's been part of the, the from the, from the founding and before, like they were all proponents of free education mm-hmm. for youth. Like that was, and, and what it took on was just like everything else, it just became bloated and government funded. And the, to bring it, I'll do this because when we were talking about the abolishing of all the three letter agencies, which yeah, I'm fine with that. 10 million people lose their jobs. I'm fine if it's those 10 million. Uh, the, uh, with, I think it's called part it's Parkinson's law because mm-hmm. I saw somebody just compare it with Twitter recently because mm-hmm. Elon's cut like 92% of the staff that existed before he got there and they mm-hmm. are as efficient or more than they were before. And mm-hmm. the whole concept of, I think it's Parkinson's law. So if I'm, if I'm messing that one up and it's some other law, then correct me on it later if you're listening, but okay. it's essentially the idea that if you have more people more work will be created as a result of having those people. And that work will always just be to fill time. Yes. Right. It's not actually like, it's like, well, if we have 8,000 people, we have to give them all something to do. Right. Yeah. So let's you just are create correct. it is Parkinson's okay. law. Check so it's like, let's just create random busy work that doesn't actually do anything. It's not highly effective, but when you have 8,000 people, you're obviously allowing for the opportunity of, a bunch of other things to seep in just from how many people now exist in this structure. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he's realized it's like, yeah, I'll cut it. And we have, I think it's less than a thousand people. It's like 800 something people total work at Twitter right now. And before (laughs) he got the company in the world, (laughs) before he got there, there was like 6,000 people. Yeah. Something like that. And so you think about it in terms of the government. Well, we have literally like 10 million federal employees. How many of them are actually doing things useful every day? Yeah. Right. How many of the guys in the FBI are actually helping anything? Right. Except for now they're contributing to all of these things. It's like, well, we don't have any of these guys to do. Let's go plant that. These guys aren't doing anything today. Let's go plant them at this rally and have them pretend to be these other guys. Well, here's the other thing that I can say too. Like 
I've got family, you know, on both sides of the tree. I've got outlaws and I've got the law, you yeah. know? So this is, I'm saying this just as an innocent observer, but, um, I think police have an incredibly important, difficult, challenging job. They fall under the same category, yeah. right? Intention. A lot of times poor execution, not yeah. most of the time, but a lot of times. Yeah. My biggest problem, and this goes back to taxation, is that our police force has become a form of taxation. You can yeah. look at, there's a, there, there's a strip right up here on the interstate. So I live on I-75 or just adjacent to it. And that runs from essentially the south of Florida, touch of, I mean, uh, the north of Florida, south of Georgia, all the way up through Michigan. And my town is exactly between Detroit and Atlanta. So this is a big drug hub right here. Yeah. Okay. This, that has always been the reasoning for this, but I'm also seeing that there's a peripheral benefit to the state and the state police in this execution. So they say, Hey, we want to catch as many drugs as we can coming up our, our interstate. I get that. Right. Yep. Seven and a half, eight miles up the road from where I'm sitting right now. At any point in the day, you will see three, to eight state troopers on the interstate mm -hmm. tagging people for speeding. Now, I am sure that elicits a ton of drug activity and, and, and it exposes that they arrest the people on and on and on, right? How many speeding tickets? Because Kentucky, like Ohio adopted the law. If you gave us cause to pull you over, we are giving you a citation of some sort long gone are the days. Hey, see, you got a crying kid. I know you're trying to get to your ball game slow it down, be safe. Yep. I've had that happen. I've yep. had that happen a few times, especially right around here. So I'm not talking every cop, every situation, but many, many cops that I see have adopted that mentality. Like if I'm going to step out of my vehicle, you're going to pay for it. Yeah. And I just think that's another form of abuse of, of power to, you know, all right, is the, is the real thing to get drugs? Then just set up a roadblock, be inefficient as hell but man, pick them. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, there has to be a better way. There has mm -hmm. to be a better way than having eight cops sitting there with their windows down, talking to each other. And I would too, if I was a cop, I would do the same thing, you know, but you get eight people writing $200 tickets. Cause now you have a set minimum of like $140 for court fee set minimum of $30 for taxes or whatever it is, paperwork. And then whatever the the penalty for speed over the per like by the mile per hour. So you're looking mm -hmm. at $200 plus every single time that officer steps out of his car. Yep. And what do you hear at the end of the month? We got to get our tickets in, get our numbers up because their budget is controlled by what they, they generate. Yep. So do you think they're going to just not pull people over? Do you think they're going to passively say, Hey, have a great day, slow it down. Mm -hmm. The system's kind of rigged against us in, in many ways. Yeah. It's brutal, dude. We need just like old time. We need one sheriff running the town. Oh, one sheriff and one bullet. <laughs> Couple of deputies. <laughs> you remember Barney Fife? He put he put his bu bullet in his shirt. Yes. You know, one bullet in this in this whole town, and it's in my shirt pocket. <laughs> oh, that's funny, dude. Oh man. Well, that was a let's that was a motivating and positive place to close that episode all you need if you're if you're the man like barney was you just need one bullet and you don't even need it in your gun that's exactly. how law enforcement should be done <laughs> what was the that was a uh 
That's one of the best lines. Oh, by the way, speaking of, one of the best lines in all of Justified, which did you see oh. the reboot that they're doing? Yeah. And where where he said, uh, he threw the bullet at what's his name? Yeah. And he said, next one's coming a lot faster. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> such a good best, line. That's such a good line. Oh, man. Well, that's a great show. Uh, and funny enough, show. that came up. Uh, Derek Woodsky. Um, yeah. Is he's friends with one of the actors on the show. Like they've become very close. That's awesome. And he and uh, and his lady watched that show and he was talking about it. So it's two times in the last week that justified has been in the conversation. So it's worth mentioning to go watch it. It's a great show. Well, dude, I know I've told you the story and we've talked about it before. I think probably on a podcast or two, but one of my, one of my buddies that uh, Molly knew from college is from, like right around that, you know, like Harlan County area, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I was asking him about it because it was right when I was getting into watching the show and like I watched it after it had ended and then like binged it all and I've watched it two or three times over. And now that the new season of the new show is coming out, I got to go watch it all again. So right. uh, I asked him, I'm like, how did they do? Like, did they did they portray this well? Like, is this really what it's like down there? And he like is super thick accent. He's big dude, super thick accent. He goes, boy, they really dressed up Harlan County. <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> like they dressed it up, and that's yeah. what it looks like in the show. And he goes, oh man, I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, no, it's man, it's one of the saddest, be- most beautiful places ever because yeah. you know the scenery is amazing, but it's yeah. just people are stuck in a way of life down there that. Yeah that's been entrapped for a hundred years, you know? So yeah. Tough to break those. Yes, sir. Go watch that show though. It's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right. We want to call it here. All right. Sounds good, man. We'll wrap it up. Um, we do have, and we're actually going to talk about it a little bit when we're done recording, but we'll have some stuff, um, to tell you guys all later here over the course of the next handful of weeks, as we start putting some more stuff together for, more than just the journal prompts and the podcast, but we're working on stuff. Don't worry. I know we say that, but we're working on stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fun. And, and it is like there's it's the hurry up and start mentality that we could yeah. have been doing a lot of stuff. And we've done a few things, but trying to get it in a concise uh, fashion where it's, it's repeatable and executable in a yeah. way that it, it benefits what we're striving to do. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like work, you know, yeah. it's, it's just a good thing all the way around. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right. All right. Later, guys. See you, man.